Gee, Pines, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pluto. Talk about Pinky and the Brain. the podcast dedicated to the beloved cartoon characters Pinky and the Brain, as we chronicle their evolution episode by episode, from Animaniacs to their two spin-off series, and all the way to the Animaniacs reboot. My name is Mary Jo, but you may call me MJ or Pines. And my name is Kelly, but you can call me Pluto. And today, we'd like to welcome a very special guest onto our podcast. He is an animation industry veteran in the fields of writing, animation, and storyboarding, and he worked on such shows as Batman the Animated Series, Freakazoid, a pup named Scooby-Doo, and The 7D. But most notably, he is the creator of Tiny Toon Adventures, Animaniacs, Hysteria, and Pinky and the Brain. Lovely listeners, allow us to introduce you to Tom Ruger! Woo! Yay! Hello, lovely listeners, and uh, <laughs> I am Jay and Pluto. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. It's a pleasure. Yes, thank you very much for coming on. So, um, and how are you, by the way, just to get things started? Oh, I'm, I'm just, just nifty. Nifty. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just skipping around. I'm, I'm as happy as can be. Nice. That's great to hear. Yeah, and uh, recently you went to FanX, and how was that? That was a great experience because I, I I'd never really gone to a, a con to like to sit there and meet people. I, I've gone to promote shows. You know, we went for Animaniacs and different shows when they premiered, but uh, at 7D recently, more recently. But uh, this is the first time that Paul Rugg and I got together and we went and sat at tables and met fans of Animaniacs. And one person came dressed up as the water tower. <laughs> online i'm That's like great and they have little plushes of like the warners and pinky yeah, and the brain on out. the side i know uh that was intense but there are uh <laughs> you know just the costumes that people wear they really go to a great effort on a lot of these costumes and many of them would come by uh, you know for a visit like on it was thursday through saturday and they'd come each day with a different outfit mm-hmm. it was just <laughs> intense the and, cosplayers you know, are serious. Oh, yeah. They are. They are. And, and some of them are very, very uh, talented at getting dressed up. They are. So anyway, we had, we had fun. It's, it's exhausting. We were, we were by, after three days, we were like, oh, I'm fried. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. As a uh, con att- attendee, it does get very exhausting, just like walking around the convention center for hours and hours each day. <laughs> We had two panels. We had one for Freakazoid and one for Animaniacs. And nice. they were very well attended. And, you know, we, we loved that. And we loved the feedback and meeting people that, that the big line was, you know, we were almost playing a drinking game. Let's see if this person will say it. <laughs> Thank you for my childhood. That was the big line. Yep. That's always a, a common greeting or common saying. Among That's folks. very nice. It's very nice. Yeah. It is like I'm glad to see Freakazoid getting getting a lot more love too. I think it's kind of made a bit of a comeback uh, in a way. More people are appreciating it. I think at the time it came out, uh, to me anyway, it was kind of ahead of its time. 
like in the humor, the style of it. I love yeah. it. I think it's a great show. Yeah. But I don't know how much it really caught on at the time, but I think it's got maybe even more of a following now. I'm not sure, but Yeah, we had to we had to go to the in each episode, we had to actually go to the WB and explain it to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised by that at all. They're like, what? what? We don't understand this show. Well, it's... <laughs> it was too beyond them. <laughs> yeah, I think like because like the this generation's sense of humor is so wild and out there, and we just like a lot of folks are more accepting of like this like just wackiness. I think it's the show uh, Freakazoid has received more love, and like rightfully yeah. so. We had we were on under such pressure uh, under the gun to get the show in production we were way behind mm. schedule mm. and mm. the first script i wrote for that was like 80 pages of superhero comedy confetti it was just like uh, anything <laughs> any idea i had for a superhero 80 pages <laughs> i cast freakazoid in it, it wrote it and it, as long as it had a funny idea going on and so it was 80 pages and each i don't think there was a single story that was more than three pages so it was just really a bunch of scattered stuff. It had things like uh, the Legends Who Lunch, and it had Handman, little, <laughs> yeah, little, little pieces. The first Moron visitation, and who came up with the spit joke? What's the spit joke? The one where one of one of his oh, fanboys. Oh, that was so funny. To me. Yeah, <laughs> I can take credit for saying longer. I'm leaving them longer, Paul. Longer. <laughs> That whole bit was hilarious to me. I was about in tears at that part. So, so thank you for the laughs. laughs. I was gonna say my favorite like joke from that entire show was the uh, four and a half minute Hello Dolly parody. Well, that's oh yeah with the lobe. That's that's Paul Ruggs. I think one of his very favorite moments because <laughs> he found it it's it was so audacious to do that to children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what's great about it, though. <laughs> they're, they're eating their cereal on Saturday morning, and suddenly we get a four-and-a-half-minute song from Hello, Dolly, with a guy that can't sing. And it's shot-for-shot shot, uh, parody. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. I think I, I heard a story where it's like, when they were animating it, they were borrowing it from like a VHS recording of a PBS special of it. So that's why you have all the um, like the people, like their listings underneath, where it's like their donations. <laughs> and it's like Jack of Water, one dollar donation, and I'm like, nice. Yeah, very That's nice. That, that was nice. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, I'm glad you had fun at the expo. Yes. Well, maybe we'll do it again. I hope so. Yeah, same here. And yeah, so shall we uh, get on going with the interview questions? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. All right, you started off, Mary Jo. Okay. So first question of the night. So you created the franchise back in early 1992. So can you tell us a bit about how you pitched the idea and what inspired Animaniacs in the first place? And Pinky and the Brain, of course. Right. Yes. Uh, we had uh, had success with Tiny Toons and the head of the department, uh, G. McCurdy and Mr. Spielberg uh, came to me and they said, okay, what's next? And I, I had just been so busy with Tiny Toons that it hadn't occurred to me we were going to do something else and I said oh really well I have all sorts of ideas I and Steven said well you know I want a marquee name for the new show maybe we should just do like the plucky duck show spinoff I said oh no 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 we're done we're no more <laughs> and uh so 
uh, I got together with Sherry and Deanna and Paul. Oh, well, Paul Rugg wasn't there yet, but uh, Paul Dini, different people. And we, uh, we started coming up with some ideas. We had lots of fun ideas. Many didn't make it into the cut. But one of the ideas, Pinky in the Brain, was based on Tom Minton and Eddie Fitzgerald. Right. Mm -hmm. Who were in the next room from mine. And Tom Minton was in there. And Eddie would go in. They'd talk stories. And they'd laugh and Eddie would literally say he would laugh and he he was a wild man and he said the word narf during laughter he goes, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's hard to believe but it's true I believe it <laughs> and Zort and things like that and Tom Minton very quiet man and he would he'd be whispering and then he'd be saying well here's what we should do Eddie and then Eddie would explode and, oh that's a great idea <laughs> And so I thought, what the heck are those guys doing in there? I think they're plotting the overthrow of, of everything. Uh, <laughs> and so from that idea came the idea of Pinky and the Brain taking over the world. And we took drawings of caricatures of Eddie and Tom made by Bruce Tim. <laughs> and so it really, the structure of those drawings of Eddie and Tom were the structure of Pinky and the Brain with a big globe and a little, <laughs> little cheeks. And, <laughs> anyway, so uh, I pitched the show to Spielberg. He invited uh, Sherry and Jean, and I think Alfred Jimeno was there, over to his house on a Saturday morning of all times, and we had milk and cookies. <laughs> nice. Classic. And I said, where's the cereal? Come on. <laughs> and uh, I, we pitched all these different franchises, including the Warners and Mindy and Buttons and Read and Runt. A few didn't make it, but I pitched the... Pinking the Brain, and I had already written their theme song to the tune of Singing in the Rain. Yep, right, right. And so I sang that. And I sang, or Pink in the Brain, you're Pink in the Brain. One is genius, <laughs> the other's insane. The laboratory, <laughs> Pinky, Pinky in the Brain. <laughs> I love that. So, and he said, sold. <laughs> he heard the song, he heard the premise, they're going to take over the world, sold. So that was a, that was a piece of cake. Uh, the Warners at that point were ducks mm -hmm. and uh he said too many ducks so we already had an uh, we already were formulating the idea of turning them them into generic cartoon characters because we had had success with uh two-tone town from tiny tunes yeah which was a great i love that episode but he said he kept saying i still need a uh, i need a marquee name i said you're the marquee name steven steven spielberg presents <laughs> and i mean he said no it has to be a marquee name in the show or we're going to go with Plucky Duck as the host. And I was like, mm. oh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> don't want. So I've told this before, but I was walking across the Warner's lot soon after and saw the water tower, which is really a big advertisement for Warner Brothers. And it's sort of like a marquee. Mm -hmm. And it all kind of had a cartoon epiphany where it all came together where, oh, that's the marquee, Warner Brothers. And we can call them the Warner Brothers and they can be inside it and... And we already had them as old cartoon characters who figured out, oh, they've been locked up. It's great. So <laughs> that that was also a quick sale. He he loved that. And so that was the beginning of Animaniacs. Fox bought it basically sight unseen. They said, whatever you're doing, it's great. Let's do it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that was awesome. Those were the good old days. And Stephen was busy making Jurassic Park and... Schindler's List? Yes. So we were really left 
it's like the parents went away for the weekend and left us not only the house, but the keys to the car and everything. <laughs> so we really had a, a wonderful creative experience for about two or three years where no one was paying attention. They, they, everybody, <laughs> everybody was knew that we had done a good job and we were just making cartoons. I mean, whenever the network had a problem with a cartoon, we said, oh, Stephen loves that. Of course, Stephen was in Germany making Schindler's List <laughs> so, uh, or Poland, I forget. Anyway. So that's that's the beginning of that show. That's great. That's one of the best situations you could possibly get where you're just left to do your own thing. The creators are in charge and you have the floor. It really was a very unique experience in my career. I mean, I remember one of the most creative experiences was your dad. Now, who's your dad again? Leonard Robinson. <laughs> Leonard, uh, we, we did Little Drummer Warners and yes. Leonard uh -huh. personally like boarded it. And he had, he had a crew working with him, but he directed right. it. And it's really, uh, for Animaniacs, it's one of the most beautiful cartoons, uh, for any show, Aww. one of the most beautiful six or seven minutes of cartoon <laughs> you'll ever see. Aww. And the Warners, they are the shepherds in the field, and they follow the three wise men to the, the manger. And, you know, Joseph and Mary and the baby are there. And the, <laughs> then they sing, then they come forward and they sing the drummer, you know, can I play for you, my drum? Pum, 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 Little pum. drummer boy, mm -hmm. yeah. And baby Jesus nods, you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> and then they go into this swing era jazz version yeah. of yeah. drummer boy with, with the, the ox and lamb or going with the beat yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, the, the three wise men are, uh, it's fabulous. It's a beautiful, beautiful cartoon. So it's now that there's an example of a cartoon that <laughs> we taught, Leonard and I told nobody about this cartoon. The crew, <laughs> the crew, and but it was like on the schedule as I think it didn't say a little, you know, because we didn't, I didn't want anyone to say, no, you can't do a Christmas story uh, on the <laughs> right. show. I don't want, you know, Jesus in your show. Right, right. I, di I just didn't want anyone to say no. Mm. <laughs> the recording, we had little children come in to sing the song and we triple them and, and it just gorgeous. They sing all these Christmas carols <laughs> like uh, Silent Night and just beautiful. That's so and cool. so I remember the day... <laughs> Spielberg comes over and, <laughs> and we're showing him some of the cartoons and we're in the conference room and this thing is done. It's in the can. It's got, it's mixed. It's, <laughs> it's done. <laughs> they can't say I said, no. <laughs> I said, oh, by the way, uh, here's a cartoon we made too. We put it on <laughs> and said, wow. You know, and it was, it was gorgeous. I mean, it's an overwhelming cartoon. I said, okay. So where's the Hanukkah story? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know if we ever got to that one. But anyway. I don't think so. I, I It was a really beautiful cartoon, though. I love the way it turned out. My dad talks fondly about that one. Oh, like, I he would. Was, yeah, he's, a, he's my hero. That was one of the most beautiful oh, cartoons oh. ever made. He, he loved working on it. He talks fondly about it still to this day and how he really appreciated being, you know, given a crew of whomever he wanted on that to do the backgrounds and you know, whatnot, oh, and yeah. just really beautifully done. So it's a very cute, kind of overlooked short, I think. I don't hear too many people talking about that one, mm -hmm. but whenever I see it, I'm like, that's real sweet, you know. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, you have it, to go by <laughs> the door and do well, something like that. Well, we didn't like have that. to. That, that was just, <laughs> I, I probably didn't have to, but I, you know, the, the thing, I've heard this many times, and I think it's true. When you want to get something done, don't ask if you could do it. Do it. Just and then it. if it's a problem later on, you can apologize. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're really, it's like, it's like when you're writing a book, it says, oh, you want to get a picture in the book. Well, 
I've heard that the thing to do is give the company that owns the picture the copyright, say copyright, but don't ask them if you can do it. Get the book printed and then mm-hmm. let's yeah. Have, yeah. let them go. <laughs> but they usually don't complain, I hear. It's like, oh, well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They're done by that point. What are they going to say? <laughs> I don't know. They could yeah. probably get some money out of you, I guess. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it's the uh, old adage of better to ask uh, forgiveness than to ask for permission. Yeah. That's right. That is exactly <laughs> the line. That's right. You mentioned earlier that there were some uh, ideas that were pitched that didn't make it through. I don't know if you've ever talked about that before, some of the ideas that didn't see the light of day. Did you want to go into that? Yeah, there's a bunch. And I had the list around here. You know what? We'll have to do it another time. Oh, no worries. I don't think I can pull it out of my hat right now. But we had Nipsey and Russell. That was one. They were they were <laughs> raccoons. <laughs> and, uh, you know, based on a, a, a comedian, Nipsey Russell, who did things in rhyme. Hmm. Uh, he told sort of jokes in rhyme, which was an odd bit. But, but interesting. And we had a bossy beaver and Doyle, who was a, a really intense little short beaver who wanted to build the best damn dam ever. <laughs> and Doyle was sort of pinky-esque and, uh, you know, kind of an idiot, a non-worker, slacker. And so it was histrionics between them. So those two, uh, by after we had pitched a bunch, he said, we had too many pairs. We had Rita and Runt. We had Pinky in the Brain, too many pairs. So he dumped Nipsey... Nipsey and Russell, he dumped the Bossy Beaver, he dumped Mindy and Buttons. He said no. But then then his family came in and the littlest kid of the batch, and we had these big stand-ups of all the characters, you know, so they looked pretty I mean, they were just on poster board, but he one of the little kids walked right. up to uh, Mindy and Buttons and t- pointed at Mindy and said, I like her. <laughs> and so he Spielberg looked at us and said, Minion buttons are back. <laughs> it's like, you can't say no to your own kid. <laughs> no. The classic story. <laughs> they continued to like, uh, I, I read this note that he sent me. Uh, I read it last week, but, it, you know, it's from years ago. And he said, we still love all the Minion buttons. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. I didn't know that's how that got. It, that's a similar story to what I've heard regarding Elmira, which I don't know if that's true or not as to why oh, that, that character... Partially why Picky Elmira and the Brain happened is because some person's kid liked the character. And so I know that part of it is because they wanted to like have a third character in with the two. And so it kind of came out of that. Yeah. And like focus less on world domination and more on like cartoony sitcom situ- uh, scenarios. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, the, the WB, they had manipulated the, the first Pinky the Brain series. They really wanted it to be a, a sitcom. Mm-hmm. And they they insisted that there'd be like a wacky neighbor that comes mm. by. It's like, what? And and so that was Dick Clark. Dick Clark was in several episodes where he'd stop by. I, is he in yeah. several? Is he in two? What is uh, he, in? he was in one. He was in the food oh. pellets. I think the wacky neighbor you're referring to was um, Mr. <laughs> Sultana, who was voiced Mr. by yeah. Paul Rugg. Yeah. Yes, right. And he's just like this wacky recluse. He's like, yes. here's a yam. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dick Clark was supposed to be in more, and oh. uh, I think Peter resisted it. He 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 disliked the idea <laughs> intensely. I'm with him. <laughs> yeah. Same here. 
Yeah, they they really wanted it to be uh, they wanted to be an expanded family. I mean, it's like they basically wanted to take the show that existed and change everything in it. And uh, we were all very resistant toward that. And yeah. I think if we had done that, it would have been like Pinky and the Brain and uh, Elmira earlier. You know, it would have been right. a, a bigger disaster earlier. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm glad you guys resisted it, though. Like, I know yeah. there were a couple of episodes that were basically kind of a F you. Diss at that idea. Kind of an yeah, yeah to, the, to the higher ups. Like, I think Brinky was one of them. And then the Larry episode. That one, yeah. too, which was great. Yeah. And then, but then once the network took us off primetime, they couldn't care less about the thing. So, <laughs> I mean, I think Peter was disgusted with the whole experience by then. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then then we had like Charlie and Gordon and Earl, you know, a lot of different people that have been on it all along. Suddenly they're they're writing Pink in the Brain episodes that, that they really want to do, like the, the one with all the tongue twisters. And <laughs> yeah, that's a that classic. Was that was great. You said a mouth, mouthful, I think it's called. That is that is a classic. And then ultimately <laughs> we got to make, you know, the big Star Warners thing, which. I think we could have turned that into a series if we had wanted to. Could have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, I could see that being on Disney Plus, along with the other <laughs> Star Wars shows. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's funny. Well, eventually, I think Disney will probably own Warner Brothers, so that could no, happen. Please, no. No. I hope, please, I hope. Well, the way Warner's is going, though, I don't know. <laughs> the whole mess with Discovery is, like, awful enough, because oh, people gosh. and, like, shows are getting, like, laid off and canceled, and it's horrendous well i I think that is the beginning of the end for warner brothers i mean they've had so many bad takeovers they had i think it was time warner Mm -hmm. or no wait well aol aol that bought warner brothers but aol like went out of business and then time warner bought i don't know which one was first i forget i think time warner was second yeah Yeah. i think they were second and then at&t right did they buy them i don't think so So, uh yeah who just who just sold them to uh, well, Discovery has Discovery. them now, and and I know that Comcast was looking into yep. buying them in case everything oh, right. falls through, but but they were like, no, we're not for sale. <laughs> and Discovery, that guy, uh, Zaslav? Yeah. Uh, wow. I mean, he's just going to start. Uh, Paul Dini was talking to me today. He's just going to start uh, auctioning off. Uh, all right, what do I get for Bugs yeah. Bunny? Who, who get, uh, Disney, you want $3 million for Bugs Bunny? Sold. Okay. Uh, really, though? It's who like, wants it seems like horn the... Leghorn? Uh, who do you got? Uh, <laughs> oh, oh Popeye's Chicken? Sold. <laughs> really, though, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how it goes because they just have no respect. Like, you know, it's bad when other executives, other companies were looking at them, you know, with distaste with the way they handled that situation. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. And, you it's know, crazy. they. They make a $40 million Scooby movie, which is mm-hmm. cute and adorable. It's Christmas. I mean, it's like money in the bank. Yeah. I mean, they can and play they it every year. They can have toys and ornaments and stuff. And no, uh, we're just going to cash out and put it in the vault. I don't know what they're doing, but it's not, you know, it's not a good look for them. And yeah, I I hope it's not the beginning of the end, but I can, I can see it. But if you were, if you were, uh, you know, as many of my friends are making animated shows, you'd be very reluctant to go to Warner Brothers right oh, now. Yeah, that oh yeah, absolutely. Because news spreads quick in the business, and this is you know just going to turn everybody away from wanting to work right. at that studio at this Why point. Why would you pitch there? You wouldn't. Yeah, 
Why would you? I mean, the general audience doesn't know, you know, what the crap's going on for the most part, but the industry does. And that means yeah. it's going to be harder for them to get people on and make deals and whatnot. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, sorry we've heard so far. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we must talk about what's going on. It's important. It's important stuff. Yeah, it's important to, like, bring up all of the news that's relevant, too. So, yeah. yeah. So shall we move on to question number two? I guess I'll kind of skip question two because you kind of answered it uh, since it has to do with uh, design. I mean, you mentioned Eddie Fitzgerald and Tom Mitten, you know, were yes. great, yes. you know, heavily influenced those designs. I was curious, though, like, did, did Fitzgerald and Mitten, did they know, like, what, <laughs> you guys were basing those characters around them or were they completely yes, they oblivious? No, they did. And they came in and they auditioned. <laughs> For themselves. Oh, that's right. I heard about that. They, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't get the part. <laughs> could you, could you imagine guys. an alternate universe where, like, Pinky They're the Brain, them. but it's them? It's like, just Eddie and Tom them. voicing their, like, cartoon caricatures. Yeah, I see, I don't, I, the voices are so different than what the original concept was. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Maurice LaMarche would, would use that Orson Welles sort of commercial about Peas grow there, and the you know the John Stenerud is fish shoals. Ugh, it's very difficult to anyway. He would do that to warm up every time. So yeah. he was warming up, and we said, "All right, we got to do the uh, copy for the audition." And he just went from his warm up into the copy without changing the voice. And it was like, "Oh yeah," and we we didn't know beforehand. We hadn't thought, "Oh, Maurice Lamarche doing his Orson Welles voice would be perfect for this." We literally hadn't thought of that, which is kind of crazy, but we hadn't. Yeah, it wasn't his story, like, when he saw... Because didn't he see the character design and think, oh, this is a caricature of... Orson Welles. This is made for me. And so he just started... He did it as a warm-up already. But I heard that he also, like, just kind of went into it thinking, oh, this is who the character is based off of. And it ended up being perfect for that character. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know. That's just what I heard. <laughs> He might tell that story. Maybe he does. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be getting it wrong. <laughs> yeah. He also said, like, if he knew, like, he he had met, like, Tom Mitten, but, like, if he had known that the brain was based on off of Tom Mitten, he would have used Tom Mitten's voice. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, that wouldn't have worked. And, and I don't think we thought of Pinky as having a Cockney accent. That was just... <laughs> that was great. That was Rob, Rob being nutty. And it was like, oh my gosh, what a, what a wonderful fit. <laughs> it works perfect. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, you okay with me going on to number three? Uh, yep. Regent? Yeah. So in the industry, um, you know, it's common that animators are paired up with their strong points, kind of. So like if someone's better at handling subtlety... Uh, they'll be given, you know, subtle moments. Someone's better at dialogue. They'll be given more of that. I assume the same applies to directors. So, like, were there certain directors specifically chosen to helm, like, specific picking the brain episodes because of their aptitude for, like, more humorous moments, were dramatic subject matter, et cetera? Or was it more of, like, a random-based situation? Like, for example, I'm, I'm legit curious, like, you know, Lenard was picked for jockey for position. Is that because his style fit that particular script or is it just kind of a you're next on the list so you're going to get this episode how is that how is that to, how did it go about well my priorities in the show i got a you know 30 years perfect hindsight and all that <laughs> i was concerned about the warners picky the brain and slappy and skippy mm -hmm. yeah those were my priorities and so a lot of mindy and button stuff 
and read it and run stuff wound up going to ACOM in Korea, right. which, and they were our uh, third best. Our best was <laughs> TMS. Well, actually our fourth. There was <laughs> TMS. It was uh, a Star Tunes in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And there was a... Uh, Wangville production? Yeah, uh, yeah. Cuckoo's Nest Wang. Yeah. And so Wang had done great stuff on the Warners. They did uh, desanitized. Mm-hmm. And right. that was the first footage we got in of the Warners. Mm. And they were so cute and adorable. <laughs> and they had funny little eye, Irises? eye holes. But they had not eye they had They had lids, eyelids. Okay. That none, none of the other studios were using them until they saw the Cuckoo's Nest stuff. So mm. they had these adorable little eyelids. They really were... That first show, Desanitized, so cute. <laughs> so then we got TMS stuff in, and that looked very good, but it just wasn't as cute. But it was, mm-hmm. the animation was impeccable. And yeah. it, in mm-hmm. many cases, it was really top notch. Mm-hmm. And then I think two of your favorite, uh, Pinky and the Brains, I think one was, was Bubba Bull Bob Raid Cuckoo's Nest? It was Wang, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, the the other one that you guys mentioned was from TMS, and I, I can't remember the Oh, uh, Brain Meets Brawn. Brain Meets Brawn, yeah. Yeah, love and that one. Those are intensely good. Uh, I mean, visually, Brain Meets Brawn is, is impeccable. I mean, it's, oh, it's yeah. you know, they got the clocks. I mean, it's uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. Story-wise, I don't think you can beat Bubba Bob Brain, mm-hmm. just because it's, yeah. it's, it's emotionally very satisfying. <laughs> and it's Brain really going out there with a, with a unique plan. Yeah, he's going to, you know, <laughs> win everybody over through country music. It's just <laughs> so. Anyway, those were the companies, and then we went. We sent a lot of uh, the slappies to Star Tunes in Chicago. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, Acom. Stephen loved Acom because of the, the he loved that they put shadows on everything. They never <laughs> missed a scene. Every scene had core shadows. They mm-hmm. were like really. There was no tapering of the line, the core, the core <laughs> line. It was it wasn't like a soft blending into the other color. It was just a sharp, you know. <laughs> he liked that. <laughs> yeah. He liked he liked that they had shadows, more shadows, lots more shadows, and uh, so he liked That's that. Funny. Um, then I'd say, uh, and not to be too critical, but uh, then there was freelance graphics in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and they were they were sort of like cleanup. They were probably our fourth team, and we wound up. You know, having considerable trouble with their footage. We they did uh, Moby or not Moby. They did broadcast nuisance. They did. Uh, oh no, they didn't do broadcast nuisance. I'm wrong. They did the uh, chalkboard bungle. Yeah, and, and they did. And visually, uh, I mean, the, there are this, those are some of the strangest looking Warners. <laughs> yeah. <ever seen. laughs> they're just like. Oh. Yeah, they're a little weird. They're very rubbery and like. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they didn't do uh, extremes and then the in-betweens. It's like they did it straight ahead, which yeah. is bizarre. And then they also did this one where uh, they're talking to the old animator and the Warners are listening to him and, he, and he's talking about animating in the good old days. It's called, I think, Animator's Corner corner or Cartoonist Corner. Something like that. Like yeah. Animator's Alley or something? Animator's Alley. There it is. Yeah. That also has the one where uh, the Survey Ladies, which is probably their best cartoon. Oh, I love Survey Ladies. I know. No, (laughs) but it's still, the Warners look weird. Yeah, but Survey Ladies is so well, it's such a great idea. 
Yeah. And it's, it's very personal idea because it was happening as we were writing that show. Mm. That, that was based on things going on at the mall where we worked in Sherman Oaks. There were survey <laughs> ladies that were get on the escalator and they'd meet you. And, Would you like to take a survey? Yeah. And, no, I don't. Go away. Yeah. I feel like nowadays, like that same story would be like about scam phone callers. Oh, sure. Yeah. Except you can't confront them. There are. But uh, you can't. You could slam the phone down. <laughs> in a cartoon, you could probably go through the uh, cyberspace and get to them somehow. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, back on the home front, I mean, Greg Rayner was an expert, along with Deanna Oliver, the writer, on, on all the Good Feather cartoons. And mm-hmm. you couldn't go wrong right. with Greg and his crew on that. Right. Like I said, uh, the, the Star Tunes crew, John McClenahan and the whole gang, they were so good at Slappy. <laughs> hmm and really, they I think were... Slappy really benefited from that crew who really cared about her. And uh, they also did Macadamia in that, that little song. Which yeah, that was really fun. That was cute. <laughs> Let's see. Some of the uh, Barry Caldwell. You would go to yeah. Barry Caldwell for the very best acting you're ever going to get out of any of the <laughs> yep. characters. He did Babs Bunny and all those the girl yeah. characters on Tiny Toons. He was an expert. But uh, he could do incredible things sensitive things with Minnie and Buttons. I mean, he he actually directed, I think, uh, one or two of the Minnie and Buttons. I think he did. Yeah. yeah. He got all the good stuff. He got a lot of the good stuff. Let's see. Who are some of our other directors? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking. But... I'm blanking, too. Um, I know Rusty Mills was one of the... Oh, oh Rusty. Well, Rusty I, miss, was the... I miss Rusty. I miss him. He was the uh, stalwart. Uh, he, he probably did directed more cartoons than any anyone on the whole series. Mm-hmm. I mean, he also saved Yakko's world because mm. uh, he had it redone at the last minute, uh, the boards, <laughs> because the original storyboard had Yakko putting different hats on for every country. Yep. And it was- right. Yeah, yeah, we actually had uh, Brian Mitchell on, and he worked on Yakko's world, and he talked about that. That's yeah, Brian he Mitchell was talking about did that. did all the hats. Yeah. <laughs> and for some reason, I didn't like the hats. <laughs> it because was just too much <laughs> it was, it was. The, the song yeah, itself is so intense and has so yeah. much information in it I thought the hats just got in the way how would you get all that in there yeah, well, yeah and, it kind of feels like sensory overload and not every country yeah. is hat related mm. uh, right, right. Uh, not every country has a hat it's not like the national hat of Uruguay is right I don't know. It was X, Y, Z. <laughs> You'd be going like this for some of it, too, because it was really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're going to like go into like episode-specific questions. Cool. So first one is, um, you were giving um, story credit for Pavlov's Mice um, alongside Sherry Stoner and John P. McCann. And that one was part of the Russia-themed episode? Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so I was wondering if you like remember some of the creative process for that episode in particular let's see what were the other what were the other cartoons in that episode do you remember um the other ones was the uh the first chicken boo segment it was like yeah and then there was a warner segment called nothing but the tooth which was like them messing with rasputin that's what yeah. i'm confusing it with yes oh well that was a beautiful oh i see i'm Pavlov's I'm, mice was the uh the I'm one thinking, where they were conditioned oh, no, to do this thing oh yeah yeah that, the teapot yeah that's, yeah. Fabulous. And that's, that's a tms one and so it's beautiful to behold mm. yeah i mean i've always been into that that particular era of 
of Russian cinema and Russian uh, <laughs> history. And let's see, in Hysteria, we did a whole thing with the battleship. Uh, Potemkin. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and the czar, I think uh, the czar is in both of those cartoons, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, Czar Nicholas II. So. Yeah, yeah the, the czar is uh, the, during the, the nothing but the tooth. The Warners are are uh, with Rasputin, and mm -hmm. it's that's that's crazy. With a little funny dog or a chihuahua. Yeah, that dog was yeah. weird. I'm like, what? Like, did he even like have a dog? But I know you guys were probably taking creative liberties because oh, it's yeah, a cartoon. I, he has a funny last line. I may not be smart, but I don't know. It's very funny. <laughs> Let's see. So, yeah, I'm a little teapot. That, that's a beautiful cartoon. And that was the uh, cartoon that uh, that Christmas, all the cells from that cartoon were handed out as gifts to all the uh, <laughs> people that worked at, at Warner's Animation. Nice. So I had this nice. great cell of Pinky just taking it over the head with a pen. <laughs> oh, yeah. From the brain. Uh, I think it's on my, my website, uh, Cartoonatics. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I saw like a like a pencil drawing of that particular frame on sale on eBay. And I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> Very possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the story meeting Stoner and, and John McCann. John McCann uh, did a, a great deal of the writing on that episode. I know I, I was pushing the whole teapot concept that, you know, each would have sort of Pavlovian moment that would uh, <laughs> that would send them over the top. And I guess Pinky did the dance. Yeah, he did a little dance. Or narf. That's right, narf. And he would kick brain. And I mean, it was also beautiful because there was an eclipse. It was all going to happen at one moment. And it was a it was a an eclipse concept, which is something that I I first saw in a Donald Duck. Carl Barks comic when I was a little kid. <laughs> oh, cool. And really? They were going to use, uh, uh, I think Uncle Scrooge knew the eclipse was coming. It was going to save them from uh, the, the locals who would were superstition <laughs> and would freak out. And uh, so the brain had a great idea. He would do it while <laughs> it was very dark. I mean, it's, it's just insane. Uh, poor guy. Yeah. It's he tries like everybody's so too focused on the eclipse and it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, but uh, talk about, I mean, that one and um, one that I always liked was, let's see, uh, where, where Rodents Dare. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one. That one. I liked that when, so cute. when they had the plan, and but you really see how tiny they are in, in yeah. those two cartoons where you're, you're seeing them at the bottom of doorways peeking in and, and they're scurrying about on, on tables where there's food and things. You realize in some of some of our cartoons with them, that scale thing isn't happening. And I think that's a crucial aspect of who they are because they are tiny. Yeah. 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 I, I love that's the thing I love about like the Pinky and the Brain cartoons in particular because they're mice. And I like how like their obstacles are much larger because of their size. That's and right. And I also love the uh the prop jokes that go with it, like you know, whenever they drink from thimbles or like they have to use like small like <laughs> pencils to write on or like. Yeah, same. Anything that was in a Snipples cartoon, we're using it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Matchboxes for a bed. Yeah, that's right. I love that creativity, though. Like just thinking of what would they use, you know, as mice, you know, as a phone, yeah. you know, as a ladder. Yeah, I mean, he would fire uh, rubber bands, uh, safe uh, uh, paper clips to, you know. Yeah. 
get out of the window. the walls. Yeah, get out of the cage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, to go into the keyhole. <gasps> to go into the keyhole and open the door. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I love those cage escapes. Oh, and one thing I was going to mention, I love how both um, Pavlov's mice and Werewolf and Steer both take place in the snow. <laughs> yes. And like how they're just like little white mice trotting about in the snow. And getting run over by uh, horse-drawn carts and just yep. brain, brain being just totally horribly misshapen, uh, <laughs> like into a flattened. horseshoe shape, I believe. Yeah, yeah I think so, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, TMS, again, they really... Uh, I mean, those are often beautiful cartoons. Uh, they didn't do that many Pinky and the Brains, but the ones they did are beautiful. Mm. They did. Yeah, I wish they had done more. I love yeah. each <laughs> I loved each animation studio's distinct style, uh, yeah. which is something I kind of miss about today's cartoons, actually, is it's very, I don't want to say formulaic. <laughs> That's too harsh of a word. Uh, but I kind of like the fact that back then each studio had its own style and you could tell oh, that was TMS, that was Wang, you know, mm -hmm. this was Rough Draft. And I kind of miss that. It's like, yeah, it wasn't on model, but there was a beauty to it. And each character kind of almost had its own personality, you know, with those studios. Like TMS really pushed the squash and stretch. Wang was my favorite. They really cutified the characters. They made them particularly cute. Yes, they did. That stood out. And I kind of miss that variety today. And Startoons, you know, with Slappy, I mean, they really, they brought her to life and they... They did. they did tech yeah. savory things with her that no one was yeah. doing. Absolutely. Uh, well, it, you know, and I think the difference is perhaps uh, a major aspect of the difference is that they were hand drawn back then. Mm. And yeah. uh, now I, I kind of think they're trying to take the character's shape. I, I think they're, they're sort of manipulating the, the vector lines and everything and, and just yeah. uh, not really doing a lot of new hand-drawn pieces, but I could be wrong. There, I know that there is some of that. Like, it's a combination yeah. uh, of the two where you have We didn't have any of that back then. We were, no. every, every frame was, someone was drawing it. But I love that, though, and I miss that. I do, too. I do, yeah. too. And, you know, I, I don't know when cells went completely out the window, but there, there. When, when did cells completely stop? Because there aren't any cells anymore, right? Maybe like early two thousands. Yeah, know. I was yeah, gonna I say some point in like the yeah. mid two thousands, perhaps. Early, I know, early or mid, like early to mid two thousands. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I mean, hysteria. That was the last show I made at Warner Brothers. We were still, yeah, we had cells. We had cells then, but that was like ninety eight. Yeah, I think around 2000 and I think 9/11 did it. It ended everything. But. It ended all. <laughs> yeah, I missed the. I missed that look as well. The cells. Yeah, very solid. Yeah. Very yeah. solid look. Well, going into um, kind of another episode-specific sort of question. Apologies, this has been asked before, but I'm legitimately curious because I don't know. It's been mentioned before. We love a Boba Brain. I thought that was just a great episode, and Sherry Stoner wrote that. I love what she did with that. Why did she not write more Pinky and the Brain episodes? I wish that she had done more. I love her writing style, like how she's, she did she's that. She's so funny. She's yeah. one of she's the great. funniest people on earth. I mean, the, my three people that I knew, I've known closely and, and loved and, and just think the world of, I mean, there's Paul Rudd, Sherry Stoner, a guy named George Atkins who wrote all the, yeah. uh, what, he wrote all the fractured fairy tales from 
Right. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, Sherry and Paul, I mean, they they could have me in stitches like just like that. <laughs> they're 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 so naturally funny. Mm-hmm. Sherry, uh, I I don't know what year exact year, uh, blah blah Probably ninety three. She was writing that, yeah, and probably. Stephen was also enamored with her her writing and had her doing maybe <laughs> Casper. I don't know when Casper came out, but oh, ninety five yeah. was when it came out. So I think it probably okay. might have been in production during like ninety four. Maybe yeah, she might have gotten dragged away. She I know she worked oh. on uh, some Feifel thing for a while. <laughs> uh, Feifel goes. West? Out the, out the window or something. Out the window. Bible goes out the window. <laughs> the sad conclusion to the American tale. Bible <laughs> jumps off the Empire jumps State Building. The- <laughs> um, I don't know. But uh, so Stoner, I mean, at, when, when we saw the script and we recorded, when we recorded that one, we knew we had a winner because I am the dead mouse. I escaped from my cage. I mean, that, that song. <laughs> I mean, and and Classic. with the stilts, the stilts oh are the so stilts great. The stilts are so funny. The stilts had my husband in stitches. Like he was watching that and just imagining how difficult that must have been for the animators to keep that in perspective. <laughs> well, I know uh, Peter came in early on. We had done the first two. We had done Wind Big and We're Rodents Dare. Mm-hmm. Right. And and Peter came in. I was having I was chatting with Sherry, and he came in and he said. I, I I think I'm done. <laughs> what do you mean you think we're done? What? What are you saying? I, I don't have any more pinky and brain ideas. <laughs> we have we have a 65 episode order to fill here. <laughs> he said, "Yeah, I just I feel like I've done everything." I'm gonna... I said, "Well," I, and I said to him, "Think of what would you like to see pinky in the brain doing or as or looking like." In other words. In Wind Big, there was that wonderful suit thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I basically said, we don't want to do that again. We have to do something else that's just as good mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe use their scale. Or, but let's put them in funny looking situations because mm, right. you can get whole entire shows out of that. And, and you know, I, whether that inspired him, he came back the next day and said, how about uh, the brain as a jockey? And oh, I yes. said, perfect. That's exactly <laughs> what, what I'm driving at. So, and Sherry had been there too, and she hadn't done any Pinky in the Brain at that point, had she? Right. No, no. I don't think so. I think right. Boba Boba Brain was the only one. Right. I think so she, she uh, she took that to heart as well, and she said, "I, I think I want to see him on stilts." And <laughs> <laughs> that was the inspiration for that then. And. You know, she's just so clever and, and you know, she, she took country music. I mean, that's a, a terrible critique of, of country music that she <laughs> offered up as well. And then Pinky was sort of like the colonel for Elvis. I mean, he yep. was like the manager. Burr <laughs> yeah. uh, is just, it all works beautifully. And all the people that, you know, they, yeah, I like him, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah. makes sense, though, why she, she might have gotten pulled off. Uh, to something else. Well, I, I was I was saying more more slappies too. So there's that. Right, right. But she she did taper off and started doing other things. Yeah. Well, her 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 one hit there with Pinky and the Brain. The one time she did it was this golden stuff. Yeah. Well, you should get her on here because she that 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 episode deserves its own episode. I think it uh, does. Uh, yeah. And uh, she also uh, she and Deanna once they're once they did Casper, they wrote Casper. They also were brought in to 
write, and it's a great script. The sequel to Roger Rabbit. Oh, boy. That never saw the light of day. It never saw the light of day, which is really tragic because it was a fabulous script. I heard about uh, some of the ideas that were had for that. And at this point, I don't think we're ever going to get another Roger film. If it happens, it's going to be incredible. Uh, But I wish we could have seen. Well, they they got to the point where, you know, they were that movie was staffing up. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, everyone had signed Spielberg and and uh, Zemeckis. They had signed off on the script, mm-hmm. so yeah. it was a go. And that's when Disney and who else made that film? Touchstone. Oh, well, yeah. no, it's Disney. Well, Amblin. Uh, I guess Amblin. It's who made the original Roger Rabbit? It was two different studios, wasn't it? I think yeah. it was. I think it might have been released under Touchstone. Okay. Well, they couldn't. They couldn't get all the the original owners of the original movie. Mm. Somehow, some of those players, who all had to sign off on uh, the sequel, someone for monetary reasons wouldn't sign off. So mm. oh, that's too bad. It's a shame. Tragic. Yes, they ruined it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they ruined it. It's, that, it's all by the way, do you like uh, the first one? I lo- oh, I, I love it. it. I love I Roger love Rabbit. That's like one of my favorite classic. movies of all time. Me yeah. too. And uh, every once in a while, I'll see some critique of it. It's like, what are they talking about? This is like... It's one of the best films ever made. Yeah. And and, and technically, it's just amazing, yeah. mind-boggling, and great performances, great cartoons. Uh, mm-hmm. Fabulous. Yeah. yeah. That was would... another... No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I would have loved to see like more of like movies like that. Where it's like they combine like 2D animation and live action and do, doing more with that, basically. I know they've been yeah. doing like a lot of like CG characters interacting with like, you know, people, but it w- doesn't really have like the same effect. It's not the yeah. same. <laughs> as, as much as I love the Paddington movies. Right. But I think Pinky and the Brain, they, they definitely lend themselves to a movie like that. that oh, yeah. A Pinky in the Brain movie. I mean, where they are busy in a live action world. I mean, that that to me <laughs> seems obvious. That yeah, uh, mm. and I'm really surprised that uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, you know, again, Warner Brothers. What are they doing? Yeah, I don't know. They have gold at their hands, and they're not doing much with it. Well, I heard they were gonna do a Pinky in the Brain film years ago, but it just never, never happened. I guess. Mm. But yeah, I don't know could still but i kind of kind of doubt it at this point but i'd love to see it how is the 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 reboot doing it because with net it's not netflix it's hulu, hulu. But the, it's hulu yeah oh yeah it's hulu you, you never know what the ratings are right from any of these services it's, yeah I, don't, I guess it's doing all right yeah it's doing well enough from what i've heard right yeah because they got greenlit for a third season which they're working on right now i guess uh but because they had the first two seasons already they were doing them right in the bag it did well enough for itself that they are getting a third season well that was right after the opening of the first season in other words the first season opened that's when they renewed for the third season yes yeah but there's been a lot of time since then i'm just wondering i mean what do you what what do you have to get at, at hulu or at netflix to sustain a show for i mean they cancel a lot uh, netflix is constantly canceling shows yeah yeah what keeps the show going and i mean it has to do with the people the number of people watching i suppose but we the 
audience, we the we don't ever hear what those are, what those numbers are. I don't have enough knowledge in that field to give a very like satisfying answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, neither do I. I have no idea how they gauge that, you know, because it's not cable, it's streaming. So it's like, well, how do they, you know, obviously they must have some kind of numbers of how many people are watching this content, but because well, they don't clearly that, because Netflix knows that they, they list the top 10 shows that they. Right. Yeah. Apparently, you know, some of those shows are getting around the world, just millions of viewers. Yeah. So somebody, somebody knows. I guess the best gauge is just watch social media uh, and what people are, you know, saying uh, about a show. Because, like, when the first season came out, there were, like, new fans cropping up and old fans cropping sure. up, you know, that were getting into it. The Picky and the Brain segments are the best. Yeah, they are. I've, I can vouch for that. Yeah. When uh, Disney, the guy who was in charge, uh, I can't remember his name, but I, he took me to lunch one day and he said, we're, this is before Disney Plus, he said, we are going to get out of the broadcast business. And I, I thought he was out of his mind. This is like, you know, five years ago, six years ago. Right. And mm -hmm. he said, we're going to start our own Netflix because Netflix is big and we're going to do that. And hmm. that's what we're, that's where we're going to put all our eggs in that basket. And I said, well, why? Why are you doing it? He says, because we have shows on Netflix. We have a lot of our shows go over to Netflix. And Netflix won't tell us squat <laughs> about <laughs> Who's watching our shows? Yeah. They won't tell us. They'll just they'll pay us money and we'll give them the shows. But we don't know how popular our shows are or are not. Mm -hmm. And it is it, as, as a business model, it doesn't work for us. We, we right. have to know what works and doesn't work and they won't tell us. So that is truly uh, one of the main reasons Disney Plus came about. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot more privacy in that area now it seems like i am curious what would become of the streaming wars so to speak mm -hmm. because they're kind of not entirely replacing cable but a lot of people have been moving over to that sure. mm -hmm. so now you have all of these companies with their own streaming services vying for people's money and time and yes. so it's like okay well you can only get so much you know you can only pay for so many streaming services unless you're you know yeah. have the money to do it on top of cable you know unless that's dropped and a lot of people have been dropping it for streaming services I have no idea how this is going to affect the studios in the long run in regards mm. to just that warring of who That's grabs right. who. Well, we know that Netflix, they've had a drop in their subscriptions. Or, or, they did. And and that's hurt budgets and they've cut some shows. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me, just out of curiosity, what services do you each have, carry at home in your lives? So for uh, so you have Hulu. I know you have Hulu. Yep. Um, I have Hulu, I have Disney Plus and Netflix, and that's the only three that I have. Okay. That I'm paying for. So. Right. And I I pay for Netflix. My husband pays for Disney Plus, and I only get Hulu when the Animaniacs seasons come out, and then I drop it once I finish watching all the episodes. So yeah, so yeah, yeah you had yeah, a couple of weeks. You could yeah. So yeah. I have uh, Netflix. I have Amazon, right? Okay. Uh, Prime, Amazon Prime. Prime, yeah. Yep. Which I, Virtually never turn on, and so you don't. Have, <laughs> neither of you have Apple. No, we don't have no. Apple for monetary reasons. Yeah, how much is it? Is it a lot? Uh, is it like nine ninety nine a month? I don't yeah, how much of this can we do? I have HBO yeah. because I have cable, but that that is the biggest ripoff on earth. Cable. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it is, yeah. and that's why you know my family and I moved away from it. You know, to go to things like streaming, but now streaming, you know, depending on the company, uh, you know 
can cost almost just as much. I think Disney's up to like what over ten bucks a month. There, now? it depends on the plan. If you uh, pay for like a year subscription, uh, it's like a certain amount. If you pay per month, I think it's eight dollars a uh, month. Yeah. And then they have like the whole like bundle where they like bundle like other streaming services, including like, like ESPN. Hulu and ESPN. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah the bundles. Yeah. And Netflix raised its prices. I think they used to be ninety nine. Now I think they're up to twelve a month. Wow. Yeah. So, or something yeah. like that. I can't remember. I'm paying the most for Netflix. We have a family package on Netflix. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what what I, if, do you know what I mean? Yep. I, I pay for yeah. the family package <laughs> in my household. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yes, that's right. Okay. Sorry, I got off on that. Oh, no, you're fine. No worries. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so for moving on to the questions, uh, this is an interesting one. So the Animaniacs stew episode. Uh, so um, we're all like the different characters were like paired off with their like other characters from the cartoons. So I was curious, like what led to Brain being paired off with Mindy and Pinky being paired <laughs> off with Rita the cat? <laughs> You know what? That's a great question. Johnny McCann uh, spearheaded that episode. He said, I think we should do that. And I thought it was a great idea. And I kind of let it, left it up to him. And I, I don't I, I don't recall exactly if he wrote all of them or much of them. I had a hand in the uh, the one with Saddam Hussein. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which I, I think was hilarious. But, you know, I just remember... Uh, it was very much an Elmira thing where, where Mindy yeah. had the brain yeah. and was sort of walking him around like he was a dolly and it was very humiliating. <laughs> and, yeah. and then of course, Pinky and the, and the cat, cat, cat. Yep. And, and that was Rita's like one more. Yeah. I, I yep. Something about eating Pinky, I believe. Yeah. Poor Pinky. Yeah. And then, um, so then there was a Saddam Hussein one. What else was in there? There were, uh, there's the one where Runt is paired up with oh. uh, Pesto, which was pretty yes. funny. Oh, yeah. And That's Paul, Paul Rudd did the uh, the voice of the old lady. Mm, yes. My little Polly, my little sweet. Yeah. It says something about my morals or something like that. My what? Like the character says something like, oh, I'm very, not, like, you know, kind to, towards animals, which says something about my morals or something like that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I care more about animals than people. Or yeah. something yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> something about my morals. Yeah, that is uh, one of Paul Rugg's wackier voices. Yeah, <laughs> mm, get out of here, you horrid bird, rat with wings. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was the uh, the Katie Kaboom one in the uh, Chicken Boo. Oh yeah, oh, that, yeah. that one that snuck in there. That <laughs> one, I don't think that was even meant for that episode, but it, it fit. <laughs> so we uh, I, we may have had that episode sitting around. <laughs> we need something that goes with this. So, uh, yeah, Katie Kaboom and Chicken Boo. That's probably, we should have stopped then for both of them. <laughs> I like Chicken Boo. Katie Kaboom, on the other hand. Katie Kaboom, it was, it was one, one idea, but there were different situations leading to the one idea. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I like the idea, but I know it, there's only so many you can do with, like, you know, yeah. with, like, the one idea. But Katie Kaboom was just weird. <laughs> you're you're done with katie kaboom pretty quickly yeah yeah but they were yeah. short and i think some of them were done by uh new zealand i think so yeah yeah freelance and what is the father who does the father look like oh, oh the the dad character 
Was it like a Jimmy Stewart type yes, of character? Very yeah. good. Very good. And he sounded, <laughs> it sounded like him too. Yeah. That was Rob, Rob Paulson. Yeah. Rob yep. Paulson's Jimmy Stewart. Well, oh, well, oh, Katie. Oh, oh Katie. Yeah. No, you shouldn't do that. No. And, and the mother was from uh, Saturday Night Live. And I'm blanking on her name. But, you know. Was it Gail? No, not Gail Mathias. Uh, I know you're talking about it. I can't think of the name either. Uh, sorry. It's mind blanking. All right, I think you have the next question. Now. Yeah, I did have the next question. Um, so one of the like few half-hour episodes that were on Animaniacs was Spellbound. And Oh, yes. Yeah, and I was curious about like what was like the genesis of that episode of like crafting like a half-hour Pinky and the Brain cartoon. John McKent started writing that. Again, John McKent, great great writer, uh, very funny and he I don't think he intended it to be a uh, a half-hour, but the first part of it was going so well and the, the songs were sort of stretching it out. We said, you know, just go for it, John. Just make a half hour. Yeah. I nice. think it was going to be, you know, a long Pinky in the Brain episode anyway. But uh... <laughs> And I think that was the first time that in in the show, right, that one of the other characters that were not the Warners had that whole run. Was mm-hmm. I think with them, from what I recall. Oh yeah. Well, you mean that the whole half hour was not the whole half hour. Yeah, was... did not. And then yeah, then there was a slappy later on. Yep. And I think that was it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was um. Oh boy, I love the episode. I can't remember the name. Oh, of it. one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> yeah, boy, yeah. that was an oh, episode. Cuckoo clock. I, I cuckoo lo- clock. <laughs> yeah. One flew over the cuckoo clock. Yeah. yeah. What was the? I wonder what the audience reaction was to that back. Back I don't know. Then. We had we had uh, in house. There was some negativity. I I thought it was worth doing. I liked. It. I liked it. And yeah. uh, I mean, it was different. I had a really strong relationship with my uh, with my great aunt. You know, the age difference was like Skippy and mm-hmm. Slappy. So, mm. and you know, older people do have their moments where they kind of lose it. Uh, yeah. I think the yeah. biggest criticism was, well, how did she recover? And I said, well, she. Sorry, I don't know. She snapped out of it. But, uh, you know, we put Skippy through plenty of trauma on that one. And uh, I mean, it was really it was it was kind of a drama. It was. Yeah. 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 And uh, but I, I think it was worthwhile. And I, I like it very much. I like it a lot, too. It's uh, not so much for me, but for my husband, kind of a relatable episode uh, dealing with someone that has memory issues and is going through something really difficult like that. But I thought it was very beautifully put together and very delicately put together. It's not a subject that I see very often, especially in cartoons, you know, for families all ages. Uh, but When you think about it, Animaniacs had so many cartoons that you just, <laughs> that were unique unto themselves. And they just, yeah. mm-hmm. no one else was doing cartoons of the, those kind. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, yeah, Kelly, I think the next question is all you. Um, I believe it is. So, did you do any storyboards of the Pinky the Brink shorts in the Animaniac show? What I would do, I, you know, I was the, I was the, called the senior, I was basically the producer of the show. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, for Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, and I basically went out of my mind working on this stuff. So, <laughs> I would go home at night. I, I would be there during the day, you know working on stories or, you know, going to mixes or going, watching the footage and having meetings with different people talking about stories and breaking them. And, but at night I went home and if I had to write something I'd write, but I would take home every storyboard and 
and I knew all the story. I, I probably, the, the thing that was unique for me was that I was the only one in, in the whole studio who was keeping track of all the stories. In other words, we had units doing their own stories. Mm-hmm. We had writers doing his or her own stories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I was the only one reading all the stories, seeing all the storyboards. And so at night I would spend a lot of time going over storyboards. And then I would, uh, if I was getting along with the director and I felt that the storyboard, my adjustments could be easily accomplished, uh, I would then the next day go in and sit down with Lenard or Rusty and say, okay, you know, this is great. And here, here are my notes. So my storyboarding was on the board. You know, I used a big red yeah. thing and I, yeah. I just went <laughs> over. And sometimes I would scratch out a few sections, but basically I was writing on their storyboards. I was drawing stuff and writing things. And sometimes I would just ask for, I, I want, I want to see the reactions here. You know, I would say you need to add scene 47A here because we got to see right. a close up of it. But when the board was, in my opinion, uh, a wreck <laughs> and uh, that wasn't always the case, but it could happen. So then I would go to Rich Aaron's or then Rusty Mills took over, but Rich Aaron's and I'd say, Rich, you know, let's go over this because uh, this, this is a wreck. Sometimes Rich would come to me before he gave me the board and he would say, we're in trouble oh. in this one. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah, the, the fact that I could draw, I think, was very beneficial because it just it just speeds the process along. If I know exactly what I want to see and I can draw it, even if it's rough, draw it well enough so that they get the idea, it, it's very helpful. Yeah. And I think shows that don't have someone in charge that felt shows that have someone in charge who can't do that i think uh it's probably not the right business yeah it, it does yeah it makes it's it cartoons harder. it's yeah, cartoons yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah i asked that because like we mentioned earlier uh brain beats Braun, which is one of my favorite episodes i love it and i don't remember who did the boards for that but i was curious like how how much tms translated Oh, words right. to animation because like there was so many great expressions, perspective, mm-hmm. squash, and stretch. I wonder, like, was a lot of that translated from the boards, or did they just kind of go wild and do their own thing? Because if it was from the boards, I would love to have seen those. Yeah, that would be worth great seeing. stuff. And yeah. who directed that? Was that Rusty? Uh, it was who was it? Mary Jo. Uh, I believe the person who directed Brain Meets Brawn. Let me look this up. I'm sorry. You would know better I, than I. I, I <laughs> No, it's okay. I, I still have it on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> I can't remember who it was who directed that one, but it was such a good episode. No, it's okay. I got it. I'm on the page. Oh, you got it? Brie Meets Braun was directed by Michael Gerard, actually. Oh, Mike Gerard. Great. Really? Okay, cool. Great director. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, he, he, he did all sorts of great episodes. So he would, and, you know, again, it depends on what storyboard artist, whether Brave, uh, whether uh, Barry Caldwell's there or even Leonard or, I mean, I don't know who boarded all of that. I don't remember the either. clockwork stuff. You see, at our, at our end where we're doing single panels and we're, we're indicating the clock's going to turn, you'll put a little arrow on the, the cylinder that's turning. Yeah. <laughs> at our end, it's still drawings and with the brain getting scooped up and crushed mm-hmm. that is easy at the storyboard end 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Where they execute it in animation at TMS, that's really the hard stuff. And that's that's where they excel. I mean, I, that stuff looks like it's almost rotoscoped. It's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just the way brain turns from a mouse into a monster mm. is just so gorgeous. It's and it, it's with spasms and oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can definitely feel like the contortions of like yes. each, you know, frame of animation. Yep. Again, uh, TMS, Cuckoo's Nest, they really uh, always did a beautiful job on the brain and Pinky. They did. They did. They but the Cuckoo's Nest did win big and uh, the second one. Uh, where we're going to stare. And uh, there was a point where we we're thinking, well, should we send them? Because they did such a nice job. Mm-hmm. Should, should we send all them all the pinky and the brains? But then they did such a nice job on the cute Warners and desanitized. <laughs> we <laughs> decided to split them up. Yeah, they did some really nice stuff later on, too, in the spinoff series. Some of my favorite episodes were animated by Wang. Oh, yeah. Really beautiful stuff. Lego My Ego was one of them. (laughs) That was a great one. Megalomaniacs Anonymous is which of my all-time favorites. I think they did that, too. Yeah, they made Brain so adorable in that one. They so so cute. Mm, Yeah. And, like, (laughs) half of the episode, the mice are just in these adorable sweaters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's important because Brain can be and act and look harsh. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think keeping him cute and adorable, I mean, and when he becomes cute and adorable, you say, oh, I love him. I, yeah. He would be a good ruler, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the trope of, like, the grumpy character who actually is has, like, a soft spot, a softer side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah same. And I think, like, it definitely captures in his, like, design, too, because he is, like, you know, he has this large cranium. He has, like, the zigzag tail. But he's also like very small. He has these like cute little cheeks and big ears, and you know, it's very yeah. mousy. If he were smiling all the time and his and his brow wasn't so furrowed, he'd be a, completely adorable all the he'd time. Be cute. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I'll just round part one off with this. So, um, how did the Pinky and the Brain spinoff get greenlit? And what at what point during the creative process of Animaniacs did talks of a Pinky and the Brain spinoff series start? Was this like an executive decision, a producer's decision? Was it Spielberg's decision? I remember being at a meeting at Amblin in the conference room, which is pictured, drawn in a, a Freakazoid episode mm-hmm. called Next Time Phone Ahead. So if you want to see what the setting was, it's in Next Time Phone Ahead where Spielberg's sitting there and I'm there and McCurdy's there and we're talking to him. <laughs> so it really, it was like an absolute replica. So, but, uh, nice. but I'm there uh, during early Animaniac days. The show's on the air, and Fox is there. Margaret Lesh is there. St- Steven's there. And Steven says, yeah, I think Pinky and the Brain should have their own series. I mean, just uh, <laughs> uh, they're really great. They should have their own series. And Margaret Lesh, she said, I, but I was going to just say that, you know. <laughs> and I really think. She was being completely honest. She wasn't just, you know, oh. Yes, Manning. Or... You just like you, Stephen. No, she, she really was about to say <laughs> that. Now, whether they had planned this ahead of time, I don't know. But uh, so that was, I'd say we were in the fall of uh, 93. It was probably like November. So our ratings were good and everybody knew the show was working. And so it's at that point that we, in earnest, began thinking about 
a spinoff series for them. So that was way in advance. Mm, right. I don't even think we went on the air uh, with Fox, did we? Uh, with Pinky and the Brain. It was in 94. Didn't we premiere with the WB? Yeah, because it yeah. premiered yeah. in the fall of 95 on the WB. Okay. So 95. it was well in advance. And, but we just knew we were going to do it, but we didn't know <laughs> when we were going to really start. And right. that's when they started uh, maneuvering around Fox and the W, the people uh, at Warner's that wanted to make the WB, which was, you know, I was totally dead set against. Mm-hmm. And uh, they should have listened to me. They should have. <laughs> I mean, that was like going from, I, I've said this before, I was like going from the number one broadcast channel mm-hmm. for kids' television in the country uh, with Fox and then going to shortwave radio (laughs) with uh, the WB. I mean, it was just ridiculous. It's like going from FM radio to AM. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But you can get AM. You can get it. Yeah, you can get it. You can't get the WB. It was like we were like uh, our our share of the kid audience was like a 25 and then it went to like a two. So it was horrible. Day and night. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, people that liked our show couldn't find it because, I mean, it, it, it wasn't playing in Buffalo, you know? That's sad. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> this is, we're talking about the spinoff. So 95 fall is when we went on the air, right? Yep. And yeah. now do you remember how you guys were little kids? Do you even remember that premiere? I don't. I was only three. <laughs> I would have been six. So, yeah. So I was older and I remember it. <laughs> and uh, this is true. And I don't know if it's true of anywhere but Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But in Los Angeles, the, the people in charge of uh, the WB, well, you know, the, the send it out over the airwaves or, you know, there's a switch. It's like, mm-hmm. so Channel 5 was the WB. And so Channel 5 was doing its local whatever crap show it had on. And then at 7 p.m., <laughs> the WB, you know, and I don't know what was on after thinking it was like Nick Frino licensed it's like sister, or sister or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they flicked the switch to turn on uh, the net, the WB network. And for the first 11 minutes of pinky in the brain uh, on the WB in LA, right. the screen was black. It oh was, no. And no sound. It was literally nothing was on. <laughs> So I'm watching this. I said, oh, this is unfortunate. Oh, no. <laughs> this is the premiere of the show. That sucks. Oh, my and, gosh. And, and, and suddenly, like at 11 minutes, and a pinky, you know, the, the boat's sinking. You know, what are we going to do? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a disaster. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> the WB, I, I'm not a fan. Yeah, they should have listened to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's do part two soon okay yeah let's do that yeah no problem well thank you so much for for being on answering our questions we'll do a part two at some point in the future which we'll determine then we have to add, wait before you go wait 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 uh we have to oh. add you know the the vo- the voice actor who did katie kaboom's oh mom. yeah mary gross oh, oh there yeah. it is mary gross very gross. I, I, I was going to say, like, should I pronounce it as gross or gross? I don't know. I think it's very gross. Yeah, Saturday Night Live. She's great. Nice. All right, kids. Uh, yeah. So let's get together soon. Yeah. 
yeah, so that was a really great part one for um of that interview. We actually expected <laughs> it to be done in one, but like we were kind of going on so many di- different tangents. Yeah, we had too many questions. We had we had twenty questions total, so we got to the first ten. So part part two will be the other ten, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, many thanks to Mr. Ruger for coming on and uh, having some fun. It's like that was a fun session. <laughs> Yeah. Mr. Ruger, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on, and we're really excited to record for part two. Likewise. Yeah, and now let's uh, delve into some contact information and social media plugs. All right, take it away. Yeah, so if you want to find Tom Ruger online, there's several spots where you can do so. He's on Facebook. You can type in www.facebook.com slash tom.ruger.7. And he specifically told me that seven is key. You have to type in dot seven. If not, then you get like a bunch of different Tom Rugers. <laughs> yeah, so facebook.com slash Tom dot seven. Uh, if you also want to check out his blog, Cartoonatics, you can find that on cartoonatics.blogspot.com where you can find his sketches and different anecdotes from his career. Uh, he's also on Twitter. His handle is at Tom Ruger. And he's also on Instagram. You can find him Rugert, which is spelled R-U-E-G-G-E-R-T. Rugert is his Instagram username. And you can reach us on uh, via email. You can email us to thepointcast at gmail.com. And that's T-H-E-P-O-I-T-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. Our handle is at pointcast. And on Tumblr is pointcast.tumblr.com. And you can also find us individually on the internet. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is MJ underscore H-E-R-L-I-H-Y. On Tumblr, um, you can find me at Pinestraws, which is P-I-N-E-S hyphen T-R-O-Z. And if you want to read my fanfiction, feel free to log on to Archive of Our Own under my username Congressman Mabel. All one word and all lowercase. And I'm still on hiatus, but you can... Uh... Sometimes reach me on Twitter at Michikey, that's M-I-T-C-H-E-K-I-E. Um, on Tumblr, my autistic works are still in backlog, which you can look up if you like, uh, under Pluto Art, that's P-L-U-T-O-A-R-T. And I also have fanfiction on AO3 and uh, fanfiction.net under the username Michikey. Uh, same spelling as the Twitter account. Yeah, and thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the Poicast. To be continued. (laughs) To be continued, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) But for now, Pluto and I must return to the lab to prepare for the next episode. Why, Pines? What are we going to do next episode? The same thing we do every episode, Pluto. Talk about Pinky the Brain with Tom Ruger. (laughs) Awesome. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. The podcast was created for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. It is not endorsed by Warner Brothers Studios or Amblin Entertainment. All characters, sounds, and images related to Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, Pinky Elmira and the Brain, and other Warner Brothers properties and trademarks are copyrighted their respective holders. The opinions of the host, co-host, and any podcast guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Warner Brothers Studios or Amblin Entertainment.